Hey guys, brand new podcast. Uh, it's the Burt Cast. No tour dates to announce. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Ooh, don't bring up the pandemic, Burt. Does it feel like this is my travel channel, boys? Did you know that? No. I'm with my wife, Leanne Kreischer. We are on our man cave. I'm doing these Zoom podcasts. I hope you like these Zoom podcasts. I'm banging them out at a quick clip. We're doing one a day. It's super, super, super easy to do one. And we are having some amazing conversations. Uh, the one today, Larry the Cable Guy. Would never have done this podcast on Zoom with him. I would never have been able to get him because he never comes out to LA. It would have had to be me flying out to Omaha, which I've almost done a couple times, but I never ended up doing. Um, but I'm so excited to talk to him. I, I love Larry. I met him. Uh, I met him a few years ago at the Ryman with Nate Bargatze and Ari Shafir. Had a few beers, and uh, he's an awesome, all-around awesome guy. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be banging these out at a quicker clip, three a week. This week, Larry, the cable guy, Sam Morell, Eugene Merman. Eugene's got a movie I just saw uh, called It Was All a Joke. You can find that online. Larry, the cable guy, has a new special called Remain Seated. You can find that on iTunes, on Amazon, on LarryTheCableGuy.com, on Comedy Dynamics. Probably the way, I think it's produced by Brian Bolquist, who I've known for, I should get Brian Bolquist on the podcast. I've known Brian Bolquist for, I would say, 20 years. I've known him as long as I've been in the business. He used to work with uh, Barry Katz. Me and him went and took and sold, tried to sell a movie together. Why am I doing an intro on Brian Bullquist? Brian's like, keep going, Bert. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. Uh, but so Brian, I, I'm, I don't know to spill too much of Brian's business, but he runs Comedy Dynamics. They've done Seguros. They've done a lot of specials. Remain Seated by Larry the Cable Guy. You can get it pretty much anywhere you get content. I think that's the business paradigm they've set up. Except for Netflix, it is pretty much anywhere you can get content. So check out, you can get it at LarryTheCableGuy.com. We talk about his early start in the business. We talk about him calling into radio stations. I had just gotten done a radio caller, so we connect on that. Um, we talk about uh, the. We talk a little bit about the quarantine and what it's like, and and him spending time with his kids, and and we t we talk a lot about the blue collar comedy tour, which Leanne and I saw in the movie theaters in uh, at the ArcLight. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. We were the only ones in the movie theaters. We were. We, we were, were the, by ourselves. We were the only ones in the movie theater, and. Uh, and I was blown away by that movie. I was it redefined the way I looked at stand up and what I looked at. Great content, great comedy, great content, great comedy as. Sorry, fucking dog. Just let the dog do whatever no, the fuck no, it no. wants to do because it's really annoying to the viewer to have to live with this goddamn dog too. But she's really cute. She is a very attractive dog, but she is dumb as fuck. You know what she's like? She's like a playmate. This dog is like a playmate. That's not a very nice thing to say. This dog is like new pussy. Seems like a great idea. You drive over, you pick it up. It's super soft. It's super fun. It puts and its head on your shoulder when you put it in your lap. That's what your dog did. Yeah, but that new pussy doesn't do that. Well, she might. Anyway, if you want more Leantix, check out wifeoftheparty.com. Uh, it's wifeotp.com. Wifeotp.com. Uh, Leanne's got my sisters on coming up next week, looking for a podcast guest this week. And I'm thinking about zooming with her, just going to a different room in the house and zooming. I, mean, I was, I was actually thinking about doing that with Georgia and Isla, have them each be in their room and zoom from their room. Have a zoom room podcast. It's been fun hanging out with the girls. I gotta be honest with you. Uh, I've had a great time hanging out with the girls while I've been home, but I am ready to get back on the road. Uh, thank you everyone for checking out my, uh, special. Hey, big boy, streaming right now on Netflix, but more importantly, check out, wait.
This podcast is brought to you by Whoop. Listen, we're living in some crazy times right now, and anxiety is at an all-time high as we self-quarantine to combat this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. When we're stressed, we don't sleep well, and our immune system weakens, and becoming prone to getting sick is not what we need. The best way to naturally boost our immune system is through great sleep, and right now, it could not be more important to have a product like Whoop Fitness Tracker. Whoop is best in its class when it comes to sleep tracking, and it even lets you know when you should be going to bed based on how strenuous your day was. When we get stressed more than normal, we need to sleep more as a result, and Whoop gives us the insight and feedback to help make better sleep performance habits. Uh, I know for a fact my sleep has been absolutely fantastic since I started wearing my Whoop. What happens with my Whoop is it told me very candidly when I was on tour, I was sleeping four hours a night. And I was like, that's not enough. And all I thought is I am not going to be able to rebound to work out. And I couldn't. And I, my weight loss stopped. Everything stopped. And I started getting sick more often. Now I am sleeping nine hours a night. Well, we're in a pandemic. But I'm sleeping nine hours a night. And I'm training fucking fantastic. And if you're stuck at home training like me, Whoop has a built-in strain coach feature that actually sets exertion goals so you can optimally work out so you're not losing out on your fitness goals during the self-quarantine. Make the best out of the situation, sincerely. Optimize your sleep and performance with Whoop. Sleep better with personalized insights and strengthen your immune system. Train optimally and don't get out of shape while you're stuck at home. For my listeners, right now, Whoop is offering 15% off with the code BERT at checkout. Go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter BERT at checkout to save 15% off. Sleep better recover faster, train smarter, be the machine. Optimize your self-performance with Whoop. Thank you, Whoop. Like I was saying, this podcast is with Larry the Cable Guy. Um, this is a great podcast. I, I, by the way, I'm, I know that you guys are probably, I wonder if you guys are liking the audio as much, but I tell you right now, the content has never been better. I'm listening better than I've ever listened in my entire life. Uh, we've got some real bangers out. And like I said, we're booking one every day, so we're going to try to double down on content. Still doing Two Bears, One Cave, recording one of those tomorrow morning. Guy Fieri's coming up on the podcast. Um, it's going to be fucking great. We did one with Dr. V, which is amazing. Uh, fucking amazing. But right now, with his new special, uh, Remain Seated, it is my friend, stand-up comedian. What? Is it not my friend? Yes, he is your friend. What? Nothing, nothing. Did you not talk enough on this intro? No, I, I'm no, I, I don't need to talk on the intro. Give him a Leantic. I don't, I don't. Give him a bit. One. Do a bit. You know, I'm not a show pony that performs when you ask. So. Ooh. Without further ado, today's podcast, Larry the Cable Guy. This is. Dip. What, is it, what are you dipping? Bert, I am dipping the world's only sugar-free chewing tobacco. Red man. Oh, my God. You know what's crazy? I'm not kidding. You know, I quit dipping. I, so I went back to Levi Garrett, what I started with. Yeah. And I've been dipping, chewing it for years. And one day... My ears started ringing. You know, you get a ringing in your ears? Yeah. I, I had a nose and throat doctor. He goes, well, your ears are good. He goes, you know what? People just get older and just do loud noises and go into concerts. Nobody knows why. It's just something. 
head, makes their ears, it makes their ears ring. He goes, the only thing that's a little different with you is you don't have anything wrong with your ears. Your ears are fine, but it's just something people get. There's not much you can do about it. Then I told my wife that, and then I started noticing. I said to her one day, I go, man, why is it that now I chew Levi Garrett and I get dizzy? I never used to get dizzy chewing tobacco. Turns out, she said, uh, well, just don't chew it for a week and see if you still get dizzy. Three days after I quit chewing Levi Garrett, my ears quit. So I researched it, and she researched it. Levi Garrett chewing tobacco and other chewing tobaccos have so much sugar in them. I was getting so much sugar in my bloodstream. It was making my ears ring. And I went to the doctor and I've never had a problem. I mean, I'm a bigger guy, but I've always had good sugar levels. My sugar levels cropped all the way up to borderline diabetic. For real? Yeah. And it was all from chewing Levi Garrett chewing tobacco because I cut out. I don't eat a lot of sugar anymore because I'm trying to lose weight, eat better. Yeah. yeah. And so I had to do something. So I went up and I found Red Man makes a sugar-free chewing tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> that, man, that, if that doesn't define addiction to me, when they go, we know you can't quit. But we're going to go sugar-free. We've been there, too. <laughs> oh, man. I chewed, I chewed, uh, I chewed, I, I dipped Copenhagen and Skull growing up. And then I chewed uh, Red Man Golden Blend. When I, I, I was, I, man, Red Man Golden Blend, I, to this day, I miss it so much. I know. It's good stuff. And I couldn't do, I could do Red Man regular. But Golden Blend, for some reason, had a. I just, I, and I, 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 the last chew I took was on our, um, on our honeymoon. We were driving down to a place called Little Palm Island in the Keys. Me and Leanne, and Leanne was pregnant, and I put in a chew. And you know when you put in a chew, and immediately it's like your heart start racing. And you just, you're like, God damn it, man, this isn't what I signed up for. Like you're, you're not, you're not doing the trick anymore. And I thought, I thought, you know what, I'm having a kid. I'm not going to quit drinking. I might as well quit chewing. That's the last chew I took. I buy it sometimes just to smell it. Yeah, you know, somebody had, out on the golf course a while back, somebody had Copenhagen Black, Ooh. which I love back in the day. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it was like opening up a hustler. I mean, it was like I, I couldn't. Quit smelling the bagel. <laughs> That's why I don't think I'll ever quit drinking. Is I don't think I'll ever be able to say no to a beer, like one beer. Uh, well, listen, I tell my wife all the time because I quit dip. I literally quit dipping probably seven years ago, six years ago. Then I went to chew and leave I there. And I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm, not, I'm telling you right now, if I make it to 80, if I hit 80, I'm going back to dip. I don't care what anybody says. Is it? I don't know why. I mean, no, don't start if you haven't done it. Don't. I tell everybody if you haven't started, don't start because it's it's you you can quit heroin before you can quit chewing tobacco. Don't start. But I will say, it is the number one all time greatest relaxing activity you will ever have in your entire life. <laughs> there. 
I can't imagine. There was a period of time where I couldn't imagine doing a road trip without a chew. I couldn't imagine starting a conversation without one. And, <laughs> and, and I'd love when I found people like Zach Galifianakis uh, dipped. And I love when you'd find like a sleeper, like someone you didn't expect that did it. You'd be like, uh-huh. shut up. And like, yeah, I know. Hey, you know what's really funny, Bert? After when I was filming my movie Delta Farce out in the desert, well, we had an unbelievable crew because they just got done. Most of them just got off the Batman picture in Chicago. And they were needing, you know, they had their interim, so they needed some work. So we got some of them to work on our deal. And a lot of them came from that. So course i pop a dip in every day so i'm walking around chewing the bucket bill engball's chewing the bucket i had one of the camera guys goes hey larry you mind if i you mind if i have a chew i have a dip and i go no i don't care why you asking me well you know you get on these movie sets a lot of these celebrities man they oh shut up (laughs) no he says they don't like you doing it so i figured i saw you doing it so i wanted to ask him to make sure I could do it. And I said, dude, I don't care what you do. Dip all day long. Dip while you're in the bed. I don't care. Dip. And then I started noticing throughout the course of the day, almost every dude on there popping the dip in. (laughs) They were just waiting for somebody to give them the okay. (laughs) Dude, I was like that. We just wrapped a Netflix series and you could tell because I'm a drinker, you could see when the sun started setting, you could see all the cameramen being like, Hey man, it's cool if I get a get a pull, right? And you'd be like, of course. We rolled, we rolled, me and Joey Diaz and Tom Segura rolled a half ounce joint, right? right. We got a cigar roller coming. We roll a half ounce joint and we smoke it. We smoke like a felony's worth of this marijuana, but there's still a big part of it left. And man, sure enough, we wrap and that thing burned down to about this big. That crew tore through it. Oh, uh, it's so funny. You know what's even funnier is people look at you and me. Did you ever think in a million years you'd be having a conversation going, you know, we just wrapped a Netflix series? <laughs> Dude, I got to be honest with you, man. I look at you. I remember coming to see you at the Ryman. Me, Nate Bargatze, and Ari Shafir went and saw you perform at the Ryman. And it was it was mind-blowing, like just mind-blowing to see that level of of just it just sounds crazy to say but like of accomplishment of to know that we all started at the same place but to see where you are and it was like and i remember i think you were taking a you were taking a private jet home i think you had said to me you go budweiser scored me a jet and i remember just sitting backstage going like god it was just it really redefined the way i looked at this business and just all of it and the fact that you were so humble and just hanging with us. We were just bullshitting about jokes. All right. And now look at you. <laughs> hey, I sold two at the Ryman. <laughs> I got you, it's unbelievable watching what's happening to you. I mean, you're like the big gun. It's awesome. I no, man, I, I feel very lucky. Dude, I'm so, I've been so obsessed with the path that you and Ron, and you and Ron really, because you and Ron were kind of like, how old were you guys when you did uh, the blue collar comedy movie? Oh my gosh, I can't remember. When was that? 2000? It's got to be I, I was looking it up the other night. I was like, 
I was trying to figure out if you guys were in your early 30s, in your 20s? or in That was 20 years ago. So we were in our uh, mid to late 30s. God dang. You guys seem like such grown-ups then, and you were just a little bit older than me. No, we were. Yeah, you know, Ron and I have a little special bond because, you know, we were the just the 10-minute opening act in that first one, you know. Then the next two, everybody got even stuff. But I'll never forget, Ron and I went over to Foxworthy's house. We all went to Atlanta, hopped on Jeff's plane, flew, did a show on Friday, flew back to Atlanta. And we were going to fly out again Saturday and go do another show together. We went over to Jeff's house. We'd never been there before. So Ron and I pull up to look like the La Quinta Inn. And we we opened the door. And I'll never forget Ron. He goes, holy mackerel. Wit, this is so unattainable. And I, <laughs> I go, Ron, I got to be honest. This tour is pretty fun, man. It's starting to get popular. Never say it's unattainable because you never know. And by golly, here's Ron. Three years later, we've got three homes. <laughs> yeah, got a got a pirate ship, private jet, and and three ex-wives. <laughs> <laughs> but Did yeah, you... it's uh, it's really crazy. I love how you and Segura go off on each other on Twitter. It makes me laugh. <laughs> I think so. You know, Segura and I feel like I think I feel like there's a you see a kinship to. Like guys like you and Ron, who because I think Segura and I always looked at Segura was always like it's attainable, and I was always like it's not attainable. I remember thinking, I I, I remember having conversation the first time I started selling tickets. I said to Tommy, we were driving to the airport, we were going to San Francisco, and I said, I feel like it's all going away tomorrow. He goes, it's not. He's and I go, no, but I know I feel like if I don't do it all today, like I feel like a kid at Christmas wants to open all his presents immediately. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the one thing I always say about my career. Um, I read that Steve Martin book where he said the one thing he wished that he would have done different is he wished he would have enjoyed his stand-up career a lot better because he was just whisked here and whisked there and he never got a chance to enjoy it. And I always said I wanted to enjoy this. So that's why we'd always finish and we'd go back in with a big dip in and look at the empty arena and just kind of go, wow, I can't believe we just did, you know? So we, we took it all in and, and we really just uh, embraced what was happening to me. But I got to say, it was the same thing with me. Instead of like going, man, I got to take this in or it could be gone tomorrow. Or I never realized, and I'm honest, Bert, I never realized how big it was. I mean, I knew it was big because we were doing these things. But now that I look back on it, I go, wow, I can't believe I was that guy for a few years. I just can't. I never, when it was happening to me, it never really computed that it was happening to me. (laughs) Because I was, no, because I was still with my buddies. I was still, Reno was my opening act. It was just like the comedy clubs, just bigger crowds. And it was really odd. It never, now that I look back on it, it it's like, wow, that was pretty awesome. But I was like, I was just so wrapped up in everything. I didn't have a chance to really compute what was happening, you know? So I'm telling you, 
the same thing will happen to you. I mean, 20 years from now, you're going to look back on these moments now that you're having and you're going to go, wow, I didn't realize that that's what that was all about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like I look back at like my first, my first theater tour I did, I, I look back and I go, I was just preparing for my next special. So I, I don't really, I didn't feel like I got to enjoy it. I, I was fun, but I was so focused on the material and making sure that my next special, the one that just came out was good. And then, and then this tour, I, I feel like when we started in January, I was like, oh, this is when it's bigger theaters. It's a lot of shows are too big to do. You know, for me, it was like one show, you know? So you're like, oh, great, you know? But I feel like I, I feel like I, I just when I was starting to really being able to slow down and enjoy it, obviously the coronavirus hits, and I'm like, okay, now I'm now I'm at this point where I go, I have no special in line. I'm not lined up for another special. I just have material. I swear to God on my children, the second they lift this this quarantine, I'm getting on that fucking tour bus and I'm touring until the wheels come off. Well, I'll tell you what you're doing. Uh, here's what you are doing the right thing. You're all over the internet. You're using social media during this time to your advantage. And it's like I, so you're, every time I go on social media, I always see something from Burke Kreischer. There's this and there's oh. that. And I'll tell you, and I tell everybody, and I'm not, look, this isn't, look, this is my interview. What am I interviewing you? <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I tell everybody there is other than me, because I learned how to market myself. I learned that through Foxworthy. It's a lot of it's about marketing yourself and making yourself a product. But I got to tell you, your videos that you shoot for your upcoming specials and albums. Damn it. It pisses me off that I wish I'd have done stuff like that because they're so funny. I mean, I hate to say this, but they're funnier than the special. <laughs> Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm only kidding, obviously. But those intros, man, that one where you were standing there and the wind's blowing through your hair and then they stayed back and the girl's got a weed blower on you. Oh, my gosh. I, that was genius. That's, that's why you're doing what you're doing. That kind of stuff is so awesome. Well, dude, I took, you know, I, I looked at it. You You kind of were the the first person to get in front of their career and say, I'm going to drive this. I'm not going to let the clubs dictate it. I'm going to drive this. I mean, there are legendary stories. Ralphie used to tell me legendary stories of you, of him being in radio and you just calling in everywhere, like just on the phone, nonstop, your own list. And that's, I mean, people don't understand that. That's back in the days when you had those numbers written on a pad of paper and you were, you had to be on a landline. Yeah. I came across an old, notepad the other day and it had a list of radio stations with the times that i call on it and there was and this was early on i ended up with like 27 stations but on this notepad from like the late 90s uh there was probably 16 stations on there and i'm looking at them like going, holy smokes I mean, it started at like 5.50 in the morning and went all the way to like 12.30 in the afternoon. Then I had some at night, like at 5.40. <laughs> How often did you do that? Oh, man, I did it. I, I called radio stations every day, five days a week for 13 years. 
whole, I don't think enough people know that. Like people, I think people got introduced to you through the blue collar comedy tour, not knowing you were a fucking hustler. Like that is, that is old school. I did a radio tour this morning. Look, I got my, my call in list right there. <laughs> I did a radio. T- they start at five, they end at 10 and it's five hours of you talking nonstop, but you were going in when radio was bits, you were going in and dropping like material promoting weekends that were, I mean, that that's marketing. That's way before Dane cook. That's like, that's one Oh one. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's how I mark, you know, I kind of did it like Jeff did. Jeff marketed himself through comedy clubs, just going to comedy clubs and doing radio going on and plugging his wares on radio. That's just kind of like what I did too. I just started adding radio stations and adding radio stations and just hoping it pays off. And just to show how it paid off, I never knew how it would pay off because only really three stations paid me good. The other stations didn't, they either didn't pay me anything or they just gave me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but how that paid off was when I got asked to audition to be on the blue collar comedy tour. Um, my first audition night was in Charleston. It was either Columbia or Charleston, South Carolina. And either one of them, I was on the radio on both of them. And uh, I think it was Columbia. And I was on the radio. Plus I'd done the punchline there a bunch of times, sold out the shows. And so I probably myself, I mean, there was probably that night was probably, I don't know, 9,000 people, 10,000 people in the outdoor amphitheater. I probably sold 3,000 tickets on my own because the cheers I got when I came out and I killed. And that was the payoff. Those people had heard me forever on the radio. Now they're coming to see me for the first time live in a big with every with the Jeff and Bill and I had already developed a following up there and so all that following came from the radio so when the guys that were booking the tour looking for a new guy when they saw that I was in and that reaction I would have never gotten if I wasn't making those phone calls so that was the fine that was the good payoff and I'll say this when I got so busy I couldn't make the calls anymore I felt so bad. And I called these radio stations and said, man, guys, I can't do this anymore because I'm just, and they all understood. And it was, it was really like saying goodbye to an old friend. It was so sad. I couldn't do it anymore, but it came along at the right time because the stuff I was saying, you can't do today anyway. <laughs> oh, I remember there used to be a radio station in Tampa called Q105, right? Scott right. Shannon. It was old school. It was back when you remember Ron Bennington and Ron Perez had a show. All right. Yeah. And so they used to do this thing, uh, uh, tales from Taniqua. And it was, <laughs> it was the most racist, just, it was just the most racist black accent of a woman just, and it wasn't even anything. It was just her getting McDonald's. Yeah. I like, uh, and it was just people mocking what an uneducated black person must have sounded like. And it was like today on tales from Taniqua. And it was, I remember in the car crying, laughing. And then now you look back and you're like, Oh, that, that is that. I mean, that could never be done. Well, there's so much stuff now that you think could never be done. I mean, could blazing saddles be done? They still, Oh no, not at all. Not at all. We showed that to the girls the other day. 
not remembering exactly what was going to happen. And my dog, my, it pops up. My, both my girls are like, whoa. And now Leanne and I look like racists. We're like, you're going to love this movie. <laughs> right. Well, the thing that's funny about it, though, the people that got the biggest kick out of it were probably black guys. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think that movie, I think the whole point of that movie was ironic. You know, the, I, the irony in that the guy that they don't want to come comes in and saves the town. I, you know, I think I think if anyone had a social conscience, it's Mel Brooks. But but now you look at that and the way social justice warriors kind of pop off. They're like, that movie's canceled. Everything Mel Brooks did is canceled. Right. It's it, you know it's crazy. I, it, and comics. That's the thing. Comics, I think, are the most down to earth when it comes to stuff like that because we have all races of comics, and for the most part, we know jokes are jokes, and we all Dude. get a. And I remember one time, and I have no idea who it was, but we were all sitting in the back of the room one time, and they were, we were all talking comedy. And I said, oh, man, I thought of this joke. I don't know if I should do it. And uh, I don't know who the black comic was. I have no idea. But he said, oh, man, that's funny. He goes, man, we could never do it. But it was funny. And I don't care if you do it. You know who wouldn't like that joke? White people. Black people yeah. would think it's funny. You know, and so he even recognized, hey, black people would think that joke is funny. Who who wouldn't? White people would. I, I, I mean, it's I virtue know. signaling. It's it's white people letting the other. It's white people letting black people in the new room know I'm an ally, as opposed to just saying you're my equal. And he made fun of this, and I it, I I could go off on that for fucking days. No, dude, me too. It's. It's crazy. It's like, you know, it's like the guy that's always sticking up for everybody else because you're a big racist and he's the first one to lock his doors driving through a bad part of town. You know dude, what I mean? Dude, dude, we, you know, I live, I live in LA and, and we live next to this guitarist for a band. I won't say the band. Very, very, very outward liberal. His wife, uh, his wife run, ran a preschool. They, uh, it was all like, it was all new agey. She had a garden in the front yard and there were some break-ins in the neighborhood. And he says to me, he goes, uh, it's, it's, I see him on the street and he goes, Oh yeah, it's the Crips, man. The Crips entered the neighborhood. I went, really? Like the Crips? He goes, no, I mean the bloods, the bloods. You can tell because one of the kids drives a, a red car. It's just this young black kid that had a red Jetta. And I went, really? Now I'm listening to him going, Oh, this guy must know. He's a, he's very liberal. He must know. And I've seen this kid driving this red Jetta around, right? So I tell my daughters, you know, yeah, the bloods are in the neighborhood. The kid with the red Jetta. We order a pizza one night, and Isla is like, she saw a ghost. She comes over. She goes, Dad, the bloods are at our front door. And I'm like, what? I open the door, and it's the kid in the red Jetta. He's delivering dominoes. And I go, <laughs> hey. And he was like, hey, how you doing? And I said, I go, do you live around here? And he goes, yeah, my mom, my grandmother's sick. I've moved in to help her out. And he tells me a story. The kid's out of fucking blood. He just has a red car and he's black in our neighborhood. And this fucking liberal is like, it's the bloods. It's the bloods. You're like, it, Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. You know, I wish we could go back to the time when you judge somebody by if they were a douchebag or not. I don't care what color you are, but if you're a complete moron, you're going to, I don't care who you are. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it just gets ridiculous. And I, 
you know, I worry sometimes about the state of comedy because, you know, in Canada, you know, two comics got fined because two people got offended at their jokes. And people always say that'll never happen in America. No, well, that's not true. It's only going to take one person to get offended and go find some liberal judge that agrees with him. And next thing you know, they get a $10,000 judgment against the comedy club. You don't think other comedy clubs are going to go, Ooh, well, we don't want to be getting sued. They're going to come down on everything that you say. And we have to keep that out of this country. And so we just need to go back to the way it was, you know, the, and the way it used to be is we weren't a nation of four-year-old bedwetters where if you heard a comedian and you didn't like his jokes or you were offended or you thought, well, that's offensive. You used to just not go see him again. You yeah. wouldn't buy his merchandise. He was out of your life forever. You know, it's now they can't do that. Now, not they just not only does it offend them, they want to make sure that they never come back to that comedy club. They, I mean, it's, ridiculous and those are the very same people that call everybody a fascist you know what yeah, i mean 100 if, if you don't like the jokes don't see the comedian i mean it's basically that simple you know mid-roll reads mid-roll reads what are they these are mid-roll reads <laughs> You've heard us talking about hymns and how they're helping guys look their best. And if you haven't, it is time to start paying attention and see what they are all about. 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35. And once you've noticed thinning hair, it can be too late. Is that hairline creeping back? Do you feel a little bald spot in the back? The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. And a lot of guys, a lot of guys, my friend Tom Segura, turn to weird solutions when they can turn to medicine and science. For Hims is one-stop shopping for skincare, sexual wellness, and right now it's time to start a new chapter in your life. And that chapter starts with you having hair. I know I started losing my hair. looks beautiful right now. Why? Because I got in front of it. When I was 22, Jeff Hartley said, Bert, you're losing your hair. And I said, I don't want that. And I had to go to a doctor. I had to wait in line at a doctor's office. I then had to wait in line for a prescription to get refilled. And then they had to say, what's this? You don't have to do that. For Hims, Hims was created by a guy who knew that some men health conversations are better to have online then in person. These are prescriptions backed by science. No awkward in-person doctor visits like I had. No long pharmacy lines like I had. For Hims connects you with real doctors online, which could save you hours. Completely confidential and discreet. Answer a few quick questions. A doctor will review. And if they determine it is right for you, they can prescribe you the medication to treat your hair loss that is shipped directly and discreetly to your door. Right now, my listeners can get started with their first month for free. Go to 4hims.com slash BurtCast. That's 4hims.com slash BurtCast. Prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate, only valid if prescribed, three-month minimum subscription. Additional restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. That is 4hims.com slash BurtCast. No one's better to talk about this next product than Burt Toothache Kreischer. I know that my morning routine has changed. My evening routine, everything's changed about my life. And one of the things I do in routine is brush my teeth. How has this impacted your oral care? You uh, being at home. I know it's impacted mine a great deal. I've never paid more attention to my teeth in my life. And now that I'm having everything shipped directly to my door, it makes even more sense to use Quip. Quip is the best toothbrush you're ever going to use with the best tasting toothpaste. Let's talk about toothbrushes for a second. 
of us use old worn out bristles that are ineffective and get even more and even more of us forget to floss daily. Boy, let me tell you something. Good good health starts with good habits. And Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need directly to your house. Brush, floss, it's, it's all getting sent directly to you. Quip is the electric toothbrush that has time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute routine that even has a size-down version designed for kids. Quip paired with their anti-cavity toothpaste, which, by the way, is my favorite toothpaste in the world. Everyone knows I have a problem with toothpaste tastes. I've often resorted to fucking soap in hotel rooms because I don't like it. Well, they send that toothpaste to you too, and they have it in mint or watermelon. You get all the ingredients that your teeth actually need and none of the ones they don't. Quip also has an eco-friendly refillable floss, a dispenser that you keep for life, an expanding string that helps you clean between those teeth. That is so important. Quip's toothbrush heads, toothpaste, and floss refills are automatically de- delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5 each. A friendly reminder that it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health. Shipping is free. Join one of the 3 million happy customers and practice good oral care easily and affordably with Quip starting at just $25. Right now, if you go to getquip.com slash right now, You'll get your first refill for free. And that's your first refill for free at getquip.com slash Burtcast. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Burtcast. That is getquip.com slash Burtcast. Quip, the good habits company. Yeah, so I mean, I don't really look when people fight about stuff like that. I, I think it's so odd. There's still a lot of comedians out there that do comedy because we like doing comedy. You, Segura, like your buddies, uh, Nick DiPaolo, yeah. um, uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, who's the guy from Philadelphia? He came to a football game with me one time. He, Bill that, Burr? No. Bill Burr. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bill Burr. Bill, Jeffrey Ross. There's still guys out there that do comedy. They don't care what anybody thinks about them. You don't want to go to the show and God bless those guys. You know, Chappelle, I'm glad he did that special. God bless Chappelle for doing jokes. Like, But the thing that was always funny about that, Chappelle came out with that special. and People were like, finally, somebody that does comedy doesn't worry about it. And it's like, well, wait a second. There's a lot of us that still do comedy. <laughs> you know, how come we're not getting any accolades? I know. I looked around the green room in the store and I was like, hey, what have we been doing? <laughs> as soon as I saw the thing about Chappelle, God bless Chappelle. For, and I love Dave Chappelle. He's a friend of yeah. mine and he's awesome. Right after I heard that, I called Apollo and I go, hey, Apollo, haven't you been doing this forever? Apollo's <laughs> losing his fucking mind. He's like, I'm getting, I'm getting sucker punched by bitches in shopping malls. I, I swear. I love listening to Paulo's uh, his show because he gets so bent out of shape. He makes me oh, laugh. He is so fucking funny. My favorite Nick DiPaolo story ever. He goes, Patrice O'Neill comes into the uh, comes into the comedy cellar one night and says, and he's got a he's got a bad look on his face, and they're all sitting there. Quinn, uh, Bobby Kelly, Norton, DiPaolo, all the tough crowd guys are sitting on the on the at the at the table. 
And they go, what's wrong, Patrice? He goes, man, I just got back from the doctors. I got nine out of the 10 things that kill black men. And Apollo goes, really? Is bullets on there? <laughs> so, I mean, and Patrice probably laughed his butt off. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, dude, Patrice was, Patrice was a comic. It's like who he sided with was comedy first. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to open my mind. I'm trying to open my mind because I found out I'm very hypocritical because I'm very judgmental of comics that are judgmental of my comics I like, right? Like the comics that are kind of sometimes the, the Brooklyn comics that light up, you know, when that Louis C.K. is getting back on stage or that, or, you know, or shit on Dane or shit on Rogan or shit on Segura myself or Chappelle mm-hmm. for what he said. I get critical of them and I go, well, I, I shouldn't get critical of them. I should just like hear them out and listen to what they're saying and then go great. And then just leave it at that. But I will say that like, I'm a fan of comedy first and, and anyone yeah. is trying, trying to make a joke as, as, as unfunny as it comes out, Patrice said it. And I believe this, all jokes come from the same place. I'm trying to make you laugh. I, I know I fucked up a lot, but in fucking up, my intent was never to hurt you. Or, or, or bend your feelings in the wrong way. It was to make you laugh. So as long right. as you know that, as a comic, you got to give me the benefit of the fucking doubt. Right. Well, I, I, you know, comedians are a special breed. I mean, we. That's what I think. What 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 irritates us so much because when when we're when our clicks, when we're around what we do in our business, we don't even think about stuff like that. But then when we go out in the and deliver our jokes, those people aren't living in our world. So they've been given these rules of what they can laugh at and what they can't. But in our, in our, in our field, we just make jokes and laugh about all kinds of stuff. And, and we all get along for the most part. So I think, when we go out and we do our jokes to public, that's when you, when you run into those problems, cause they're not, they have a whole different conditioning going on. They're being conditioned to not laugh at this. And that's bad. And it's just bad for everything. You know, that's why I think, I, I think things are shifting because with, with what's going on with the coronavirus, I think I know for a fact, there was a joke I have in this new special that was a tad bit aggressive, but, but, and I was worried that, I was worried you tell it in, in an audience and, and you and you get big laughs and your friends are there and your friends love it. And you're like, oh, it's killing. I love this. It's a layered joke. It's got two different tags at the end. Yeah. And then and then you tell it in a special and you're like, wow, that's pretty aggressive. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I'm going to get lit up, man. I'm lucky for whatever reason, the universe aligned, that quarantine goes in, my special drops, and I guess it put things in perspective. And right. man, no one... No one said a word. No one said like, fuck this guy. This is racist. This is homophobic. This is gender phobic. Yeah. I mean, my first, I said to Segura, me and Segura are talking and he's like, Hey man, how do you feel about your special? Cause we're ours dropped like weeks after each other. And I go, I'm listening to it. And I feel like, I feel like it's pretty aggressive. I didn't, it didn't feel that way to me. And he goes, really? I go, well, yeah, my first three jokes are one. I talk about beating women. One, I talk about, gender neutral bathrooms i talk about sexual assault and then i make a kind of racist joke and he's like oh this is gonna be a good special <laughs> oh, mackerel. oh man thank god for the pandemic <laughs> right no, thank god for the pandemic oh that's so true so hey, let, let me let me 
ask you a quick question. I, I, I don't know if this is the place to say it or not, but is is uh, is Ari doing good? Did he get in a lot of trouble over his tweet? I felt bad for him. I've been like, oh man. And I know. Look, a lot of people don't know his humor. I mean, obviously, I know his humor, um, but I felt bad because you know, when you put stuff like that out on for a national audience. I mean, did he did Bert, did he have to go into hiding? <laughs> oh yeah, he he is such a. You know, I said I said to someone because you know he. I, I don't know if you're aware, but he drugged me like a couple months before that, right? He slipped me yeah. Molly in my backyard in front of my kids and my wife hates his fucking guts, right? Hates his guts. So, so, so then like two months, you know, three months later, January, he puts out the Kobe tweet and we're at dinner with people and someone just goes, dude, what the fuck is wrong with Ari? And I'm like, I'm done defending him. Like I love him. I've given, made my peace with him. He's my friend, but I go, I blame Hitler. I blame Hitler. He did that to his people. His dad was in a concentration camp. That is Hitler's fault. But he, um, you know, wisely and unwisely, it's a very interesting insight into social media. He uh, very wisely shut down social media for himself. He pulled everything, made everything private, and stopped looking at his phones and tapped out and lived his life, right? Now, unwisely, I would argue, I at one point I said, how are you doing? And he said, fine, why? And I went, well, it's, it's pretty hot out there. And he goes, I haven't been paying attention to it. And I was like, well... Hey man, they doxed you. I would definitely pay attention to it. Like he's like, what? I was like, your address is on the like. People are saying they're gonna kill you. He's like, they're gonna kill me. And I was like, Ari, maybe you want to read a couple of the tweets. But <laughs> he just he just tapped out. And you know that's Ari. God bless him. He he does what he does. And in his perspective, he's like that joke wasn't meant for who it got to. It was meant for my fans. And uh, and and he stands. Well, uh, I look, I, I, I get it, but when that's one of those things where you think he would think to himself, you know what, I get this is kind of my act and I do stuff like this, but maybe I should stay away from this. <laughs> that's man, that's when he leans in. What's wrong with Ari is what's great about Ari is when he, he's first of all, he's the most loyal human being in the world. And when he leans in, when he leans in is when, is when it's the worst. I mean, I, you know, I think he thought his fans would find him weak if because he has hated the Lakers his entire life. I right. think he thought his fans would think he was weak if he didn't make that joke. And so he leaned into it. I think in hindsight, he probably – I don't know what he would do in hindsight. But, uh, but it, you know, it, for a lot of reasons, it might have been – I'll tell you what, man. People aren't talking about it now. He's – Now I feel bad I brought it up. <laughs> no, no, no. Dude, you know, look, I've – I've always stood by Ari. He's a friend of mine. He's been a great, great, great friend of mine. At times, he's been uh, uh, the most messed up person I've ever known in my life. But uh, but that's the beauty of comics is like you can't. It's I, I've so many dinner parties I've been to with my wife where she's like, "Hey, not everyone operates the way you and your friends do. You live in a microcosm where you can talk like that, but no one." operates like that like that's just you guys and you're like right. oh yeah you forget yeah you know uh i felt bad 
him. He shouldn't have done that. I mean, you kind of want to look at the serial. But I just wondered about that because I was just hoping he was doing okay. Because I, like you said, he cleared all his social media and I hadn't heard from him. So I figured he was in a bunker somewhere. And <laughs> so I, I think he's living with his parents right now in Maryland. He went back. He left New York down to go hang out with his parents. He quarantined himself for 14 days because his parents are older. And then he's down there with his parents. I think he's staying there for the rest of this. The rest is how are you guys hanging out? How are you guys holding up? Uh, you know what? We're doing fine. I got to tell you, it's not really, you know, we homeschooled our kids anyway. Oh, really? We've been doing it. Yeah, because my kids, you know, they grew up on a tour bus. So there, we've been with our kids a long time. They first three years of school, they went to a regular school. And then my wife went into homeschool. So my wife homeschools our kids. Uh, my wife's a homebody, so she doesn't really leave the house much anyway. I got 180 acres here outside of Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, we don't have a lot of cases here, so they're not as strict with us. You know, you can go for walks. You can do whatever if you want to. Oh, wow. You know, I, you know, I love the golf, and so I'll, uh, I'll go up and I'll take my push cart and I get out of my truck. I don't see anybody. I and I used to do that anyway when I wrote jokes and stuff. I would just go by myself, and so that's what I do. I go and I walk eighteen holes by myself. Uh, there's probably a foursome, you know, three holes up and a foursome two holes back. They all got different carts, you know. So other than not knowing what day it is, because I always know what day it is by what sporting event is on. So not knowing what day it is, other than that, not much has changed. You know, I only had to reschedule maybe eight shows because I only do about 30 a year. And most of those are towards the second half of the year. Really? So uh, it just sucks. You know, I, the thing with this whole thing is you don't know what's true or not, because we're such a political climate that people latch on to things to, to try to hurt the other party and America's caught in the middle of a power struggle. So you never know what to believe. It's like the World Health Organization. Now you find out those guys were completely off on what they were saying. And then when you have a, and they're embracing, you know, this came out of China and they're embracing China now as this great, oh, look what they're, they've cured all their, you know, you don't know who to believe, what to believe. Uh, but I find this, I think when, like, it's the person that just got arrested in the park for playing catch with their kid, you know, there was nobody around. He was out there playing catch with his kid in the park and they arrested the guy in front of his kid that's going overboard. And I think once this is over with, this is just me as a guy, Bert. I'm just a guy. Right. I list what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, take up arms and go, you know, so I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But I think once this is over with, which I think it'll be over sooner than later. Yeah. Um, I think once this is over with, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to be finding out about it that uh, are going to make us mad. I, so, do, I, I just thought that I thought that last night, last night I woke up at two in the morning and I just, you know, just wake up and I get on my phone and you're, you know, so much. I, 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 I and like I said, you said it first, I'll, I'll reiterate. I'm just a guy. I don't know anything. I'm a comic. I'm just right. a guy who gets news just like anyone else. But it's like <clears throat> they said 
two weeks ago, they were like, hey, stop with the fucking surgical masks. They're useless. They don't help. And then today they're like, surgical masks are mandatory in LA if you're outside. And now you're sitting there like, hey, pick one or the other because you're, you're confusing me. You're, you're crossing the brands. You're like, I, I need to know what to do. I'm afraid. And I look back to AIDS. I went, I remember when AIDS came out when I was a kid. And I, and I think that's why all these Gen Xers are the one group of people that are the safest is we grew up with our sexual revolution. When, when I was in 16, 15, 13 years old, that's when AIDS showed up. So I don't think I ever had unprotected. I mean, I was like so scared of getting AIDS that right. I remember making jokes about it. I'm in Atlanta at the Laughing Skull and I'm back, I'm, I'm off to the bar having a drink and these guys from the CDC came up and they said to me, you know, it's so funny you made those joke. You made a joke about AIDS tonight. I said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, sorry if it offended you. And they went, oh, no, no. Do you know what we call a straight guy with AIDS in the CDC? I said, what? And they go, a liar. I went, what? And they go, straight guys don't get AIDS from sex. And I went, hold on, you work for the fucking CDC, and you're telling me this in 2006. Like, where was this information in 1981, 1995 when I was, like, yeah. so I think it's, you're right. It's like fiber. You know, everything changes. It's make sure you do this and do this. And then 10 years later, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. And nobody, I mean, it's, I, I, I tell you, when you said that, the funniest thing I ever heard about that was uh, we were golfing one time and uh, Ray Romano, he goes, did you ever have a friend that used to tell a story like this? He goes, all right. So I got this great story about Jim. Now, remember, this was pre-AIDS. So... <laughs> Oh, it's so crazy. Yeah, I... I remember, I, this is pre-AIDS. <laughs> remember, this was pre-AIDS. So now you know it's a good story. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, you know what? I have no idea. I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but I, I think it's going to end sooner than later. And, um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy time we're it's living in. It's good it hasn't gotten to you guys. It's been crazy out here. I saw I saw you post about Vic uh, yesterday. How horrible is that? Man, and me and Vic and Jeff were just on a, um, a, a thread together talking about old times, about four days earlier, just about all our spring training days. Vic used to come out once a year. He always made sure he came to a Husker game and we talked football. And yeah, it's just sad, but you know what? You never, you never know. You never know when your time's up. And I'll, I'll say this too: when you get older, you gotta take care of your body more than we can't, as comedians, do what we did in our thirties and forties. We, you know what I mean? We can't do it. When you get to yeah, be, you get to be fifty-five and up. You know, you can't, you know, and I know that Vic, the last couple of days, you know, I always followed his Twitters and stuff. I could tell when he'd been drinking and, you know, and so I guess he was uh, having some girlfriend problems and he'd been drinking a little bit. I mean, it just sucks, you know. Vic was such a, he was such a good dude. I don't want to talk about I, I had a, I, <clears throat> I knew who he was before I met him. And, uh, and you know, the name, I, I think like all the names, all the names that you, when you started, all the guys that were headliners, when you started, you looked at them as like, how did you ever get there? Like, how, how and 
And so it was almost like this unattainable thing. And then once you start headlining and then you run into a couple of those guys, there's still this like this mask of like, like, like almost worship of like, how do you like, these are the heroes. I remember meeting Vic for the first time thinking, oh, he's going to look at me and be like, who the fuck is this kid? And he was the sweetest guy in the world. I remember me, him, Carl Ruiz. Uh, we did Opie's show with uh with with Sherrod Small and we all drank Tito's and soda and just laughed our asses off and he uh, could not be a kinder sweeter man yeah so awesome and Vic's the way that you know Vic is the way that I wish a lot more that most comics were Vic was a fan of comedy he was a fan of the joke he was a fan of the construction of the joke he was uh happy he there were comics that he didn't like that he didn't think were funny, but he understood comedy's comedy and it may not be his gig, but Hey, they're getting an audience, so more power to them. I mean, I wish everybody would talk like that and, and it would yeah. be so better in our field and, and get rid of all those, uh, you know, backbiters and jealous idiots. I mean, you know, Jeff always told me a long time ago that, uh, and I learned from Jeff on this. He says it's called show business for a reason. There's the show part and there's the business part. And he goes, there's guys that are funnier than I am, way funnier than I am. But I'll guarantee you there's nobody can outwork me and outbusiness me. And that's part of the deal. So there's, there's, uh, there's people out there that just are really hustlers and go-getters and once once you get to the show you got to deliver but you know a lot of times that that hard work really starts to pay off you know i don't know i don't know how i got into that but it's just uh vic was just a, a really, really good guy and, and i just hate it when comics the, the, the point is vic was nice to everybody vic understood mm -hmm. i wish everybody was like Vic was because he was so fun to be around and uh sucks he was generous with the laugh too like he was generous when you were on radio with him I did radio with him a few times and every time he was just he was there for you if if you were trying to take an angle he'd help tag it as opposed to shit on you just yeah. you just fuck it what was it a heart attack and he, yeah, some kind of a blood club embolism or something, like an embolism, went to his uh, heart and into his brain and I guess knocked out his brain and, you know, just, just kind of stinks. Um, but yeah, he was a good dude. So that, but you know, hey, such is life. You never know. You never know when it's going to hit. So I said to Burr, Burr and I were um, bullshitting one day. And he said something about, uh, I, I, I forget what I said. I said something about blood. I said, what's your blood pressure? We were talking about Patrice, who I had a stroke. And, and I said, what's your blood pressure? He goes, I don't know. I said, hold on. You don't have a cardiologist? He's like, no, should I get one? I go, Bill, you're 50. Yeah, 100%. I was like, hold on one second. I go, let's just save your life right now. Grab my phone, called my cardiologist. I set up appointment with Bill on my cardiologist. Texted yeah. him the number. I said, hey, man, his name, this is his name. He's a good guy. Just go see him. And then, and man, sure enough, you go in and Bill was fine. Blood pressure is good. Shockingly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but thankfully, man, 
you got to get in front of that. You got to get in front of it. I came in. I had a the one of the full CT scans where they check your blockage and all your arteries, and I was so freaked out. And this older black woman was working behind the counter, and I'm filling out the paperwork, and she could tell I don't want to be there. And she said, "Let me tell you something. The fact that you walked through those doors means that one day you won't be rolled through those doors." And I went, "Yeah, really?" And she goes, "Oh yeah, because you came in." And you're finding out now where you're at means that you won't come in. And when they roll you through those doors, honey, you don't want to be there. Mid-roll reads. Mid-roll reads. What are they? These are mid-roll reads. Are you looking for the perfect gift for your mom or your dad or any of your loved ones, your Aunt Judy? I know that I am and I was until I found Skylight Frames. Holy crap. This is the best. What it is, is it's a frame that goes in your house and then you can take pictures from your phone, send them to the link on the frame and then they pop up on the frame. What's amazing is you can do this for your mom. So as you take amazing pictures of your family in the yard and you go, that's a really great picture. What you can do is then send it to your mom and it goes right over to your mom's frame at her house in Tampa and she loses her mind. This is a great way to feel close to the ones you love even when you're separated. Multiple people can send photos to the frame. It's so easy, and it's a great way to keep large networks of friends and family in touch. It sets up effortlessly. Leanne did it. Leanne did it in like 60 seconds. You just plug it in, use the touch screen to connect your wireless phone, and you're sending photos to your skylight effortlessly. Everyone in your family can just email photos to mom, your Aunt Judy, your sisters. My, my sisters now have one. My mom has one. My dad has one he's going to put in his office. And then we can just send them effortlessly. It's a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through the photos with your finger, even tap and thank persons who sent you the photos. 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love your skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. You can pre-order it with your favorite photos for a special Mother's Mother's Day gift. I am not joking. This is what we got everyone. This is absolutely fantastic. Not just the beautiful 10-inch touchscreen frame, but the fact that you can tap your phone from anywhere you are when you take a great picture and just add it and then they see it all of a sudden like a surprise. It is an awesome gift. An awesome gift. I gave my mom one, my Aunt Judy one, my dad. I've given everyone. Everyone in my family has one and my mom is losing her mind. It's so simple that even my mom can use it and my dad helped her set it up. So, customers absolutely love Skylight. One Facebook review said, uh, this is such an isolating time. It's great to keep my grandma safe and healthy and give her a little glimpse of us every day. While we talk on the phone, she can talk to the boys after the picture we sent. That's really great. That's really, really great. Right now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. Do this. I promise you, this is the Mother's Day gift you want to get your mom. I promise you. And get it for everyone. It's a great fucking gift. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframes.com and enter the code BERT. That is right. $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame. Just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That is S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com and enter the code BERT. Trust me, this is the gift you want to give to people. Trust me. Whether you're working from your home or working on your fitness, You want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what your roommate or your wife while you're laying in bed listening to some podcast of 
some guy spinning wildly out of control on, control on Rogan's podcast. And then she goes, what the fuck are you listening to? You don't want that. You want to be the one listening to. And if you want to listen to it by yourself, everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. I got sent a pair and I did a test. I put in the ones that I had. I'm a famous name brand. I'm not going to name them. I put them in and then I put in the Raycon. And I'm telling you, I could not tell a difference either way. And so I threw them up on my treadmill and that is what I run to. That is, they are there every day. I grab them, put them in. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds are the best ones out yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and even more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for a conference call or binging on podcasts like I do. I know that I definitely do. I love these ear. And by the way, the music sounds absolutely fantastic in them. And when I sweat, they don't go like the other ones. I love these earbuds. Unlike some of your other wireless earbuds, Raycon earbuds are both stylish, discreet, with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during your phone call. Those stems are so fucking obnoxious. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy. They're all obsessed with their Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what all the hype's about. Now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash BurtCast. That's buyraycon.com slash BurtCast for 15% off Raycon earbuds. Wireless. Buyraycon.com slash BurtCast. Are you even listening? <laughs> Thanks. Go back to the podcast. <laughs> Well, I had a, I had, believe it or not, this is crazy, Bert. I was sitting at the house one day and it felt like I had a pimple in my, like a hair in my eye. And my wife goes, well, you got a little, like a little pimple in there. I go, get out of here. So I went to the doctor, he gave me some steroid stuff. He said he knew what it was and it went away, but the red stayed in there. But I just started noticing about months later at night, my eyes would get real watery and blurry and I'd have to put, re-wet and just put drops in and I went back to another doctor and he said, oh, this is a blah, blah, blah. And he gave me some more drops. And so finally, I'd had it still going on. So this is like a year later. I go to this other doctor, the original doctor, that gave me the steroid drops. And he goes, you know what? You've had it long enough. He goes, I don't know why it's not going away. He goes, but we call that a blah, blah, blah. It's normal. So did an eight-minute operation on your eye. And you see the whole thing. You know? But it was oh. only... Then it ended, it came back, a melanoma. It was a, thank God, it was a surface melanoma just on the surface of my eye. So he was shocked because they normally don't. He said, I was very blessed. He said, God was looking out for him because he says, normally those start in the back of your eyes. He goes, but the fact it was right there in the white and we can see it and we can get it. He goes, that's awesome. So he goes, I want to go in and it's all inside the margins, but I want to make sure there's no microscopic stuff. Come back in. I'll take a bigger hunk, send it in just to make sure. So they did. So now I go in every quarter and I get all my, I don't know if you noticed or not, but now when I go, I used to go off to the charity events with no sleeves and you know, the whole deal. I wear yeah. sleeves, I wear some kind of a sleeve or something. I go in and I get my skin checked now all the time. I got to do that for five years, but funny story about that. 
I had to go in and do a 48-minute operation the second time on my eye, and you're awake for the whole thing. And so they put this real bright light here, and they put a thing over your face, a little sheet, like a blue sheet. You can still see shadows and stuff. And your eye is completely taped up. And they put this big thing, so you can't see anything but light. And then after about two seconds, it's just light, and it doesn't hurt your eyes. And you can you can tell something's going on, but you don't know what it is. And it's freaking me out. So about five minutes into it, I said, okay, I got to think about something. I've been flipping freak. So I said, I'm going to, in my mind, I'm going to go to the golf course and I'm going to work on my game in my mind. I'm going to play 18 holes of golf in my head and get my mind off something. Right. And I started to calm down. I wasn't thinking about it. And I'm about to tee off in my head. And just as I'm lining up the tee shot, I see a flipping pair of scissors go up <laughs> my face. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up shooting a 135. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't that- wish an eye operation on anybody. I had a, I had a, I had a toothache the other night. And uh, it's like, you know, you really, you, uh, your gratitude goes up. Me, you pussy. <laughs> Dude, it was so bad that I was like, I called Dr. Drew. I was like, I think I'm having a stroke. He's like, go to the, go, go get some Tylenol. So I had to go to Rite Aid in the middle of the night. And man, your gratitude is through the roof when you walk in and you see the kid working behind the counter at two in the morning with the face mask and the gloves. So I get yeah. the stuff. I go to the doctor and they're like, Hey, we're, we're a little concerned. It may be all around your mouth. We're going to do like a head cat scan. And they put me in this little fucking device and they go, it's going to take seven minutes. And now I'm starting to panic. And so in my head, I go, the machine story is 13 minutes. So if I start telling the machine, I know that halfway through I'll be almost done. So man, I fucking tore through that story so quick. I was like, when I was 22 year old, I got about the Rose Mafia. Here's what happened. And I'm like, at the point where I'm robbing the train going, where the fuck are they? Did they forget about me? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I shot well, a 134. That's fucking great. There's nothing worse than the toothache. I mean, the worst thing ever. Oh, my God. Uh, it was a nightmare, man. It was a nightmare. So what? My- what? What are you doing for health-wise now? Are you working out? You know it's bad when you get a toothache and you got all fake teeth. That's when it's even worse. I got 26 I, fake teeth. I, I, my whole top's fake. My bottom's real. The other day, but my back ones are fake. And the other day, I started getting a pain here. I go, it's not a real tooth. Why <laughs> is it hurting? Freaking me out. You know, I'm a hypochondriac, so... It doesn't matter. You know, it's just like, you know, I was watching TV the other day and I, I, I literally had every symptom of breast leakage. It's true. So I just, I, I'm, I can't handle this stuff. I, I, I have, I'm a hypochondriac over everything. I do a joke in my new special about, I had a red blotch right there you might have heard i might have done that night in nashville i had a red blotch and i thought it was cancer my wife said i'm an idiot don't worry about it and i went and i got a biopsy spent a thousand bucks for a biopsy 
And uh, turns out it was picante sauce. <laughs> but the good news was he wrote me a prescription for napkins. <laughs> but you know what? I'm uh, I cut out sugar. Sugar is cancer feeds on sugar. So I cut out sugar. The old doctors say, man, cut out sugar. Sugar's bad news. So I cut out sugar as much as I possibly can. So I cut out sugar. I'm probably down to 97%. I'm off sugar, you know, um, and walk. I'm actually down 21 pounds since uh, the last week of February. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for more. I want to, I want to be, uh, I want to lose 60 pounds. I was 292 pounds in the end of February. Really? Yeah. And now I'm 269. So 69, 79, 89. Yeah. It's like 24 pounds, something like that. So I want to get down, uh, to two, I want to get down to about 230. Oh, two thirty. I I was two fifty eight at the end of this tour. I I ever as soon as I get on tour, I start ballooning up. Oh and yeah. Then, and now I'm right now. I'm like two thirty five. I would oh. love to. I would love to get below two twenty. But uh, yeah. and yeah, I'm not drinking right now. But I feel like I feel like my problem is sugar is like I feel like I still have a sweet tooth. I mean, I mean. Andy, like crazy. Well, your body craves it. And I, here's how bad a situation. This is, I mean, I'm doing better, but this is how bad my situation is compared to yours. I'm trying to get right now to your fattest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there at one point. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Yes, you look like uh, you're 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 fat, Bert Kreischer. <laughs> you're like, thank you. <laughs> I know that's what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> oh what man, is, it, it's a struggle. What's something? What's something? Uh, I'll get you out of here soon. We're gonna we'll wrap this up in about ten. But what's what's something that that like? What's goals left you have left on your bucket list? Man, you know what? Uh, I just want to. I've done, I've been so blessed and there's not anything in the show business that I actually think of wanting to do. I mean, I've done more than I ever expected. And I think the only thing, the thing I want to do now is I just want to be a good dad. You know, I, I've been blessed enough to be able to now be home more and not miss my kids growing up because it goes so fast. You know, I just remember when they were just little on a tour bus and taking baths in the sink and now they're 12 and 13 and, you know, I'm hunting coyotes with my little boy at night in a tree stand with his AR 15, you know, 22. And he wants to move up to the real one, but I'm, as I'm waiting on that. <laughs> and my little girl takes dance. She's a great dancer and she's, just beautiful so i don't want to miss those times so i just i want to take the you know the next 20 years and just be a good dad and still go out on the road and do the casinos and be star for the weekend and tell some jokes that i like right and but then come home and be a dad i i feel that my my main my main job right now is just being a good father and uh, and and doing that yeah man that's so great i mean i feel like you know, I feel like I was, I got, I became a parent 
broke and I hustled all through their childhood to get to where we are now. And I'm like, and I'm just now going like, it's, it's crazy, but I'm like kind of looking at this quarantine as a blessing of going, I'm hanging out with them while they're still a little bit little girls. Like we, yeah. we all, we all shut down and do dinner together. It's been, it's been really amazing spending time with them. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a positive that can come out of this whole thing. I might've been God telling us, Hey, you guys got your priorities wrong in the United States. Maybe you need a little more family time and I'll take away, you know, it was funny. Hulk Hogan sent that out the other day. I saw that. What did he say? You know, he said, Hey, this is God telling us we got too many other gods. Maybe it's time that we get back to our family and taking away things that we worship more than, than him. And, and, and being with your family, there's things taking away from, from things that are important to you, from things that aren't that important. And, you know, when come to think of it, he's right. You know, I'm like last night, I went out with my little boy. You know, he wants to put some squirrels in a coyote trap or some rabbits. And we're infested with these nasty, gnarly rabbits. So I went out with, with Wyatt yesterday for two and a half hours walking around the yard. Uh, harvested three rabbits to put on his coyote trap. Normally, I would have been in the house watching the Braves game, and he'd have done it on his own because I would have wanted to watch the game. But that's something that I got to do with him. And, man, that, so if there's any good come out of it, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. And not only that, it's politically, it's shown our government that we got to bring our – uh, manufacturing of medicines and medical supplies back to the United States. So they're yep. going to, hopefully they're going to do that as well. So there's a lot of good that can come out of this. Um, some comedians will probably be hurt by it. Others won't. Um, obviously you're one of the ones that won't because you got, you're doing the right things, the podcast, but you are already on such a high climb people are really going to be anxious to get out and watch, watch your stuff. I'm hoping people come out, you know, my big thing. And I say, I mean, I, I've said this vocally and I don't know how it will work with touring, but I think our, one of our big responsibilities as comics and especially as comics that can move a few tickets is to go into clubs like Colleen's or, or uh, Leisha's in Des Moines or all the, all the funny bones that helped us get to where yeah. we are is to go in on your off nights on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and blow up their business, low ticket price, get people in there, sell some booze, get some tips, get everyone back on their feet. And, you know, it's it's funny because sometimes agents and managers have different views of how it should go, but I think it's it's imperative no, to it's, help get these clubs back up and running. It's everybody helping. Yeah, and it's funny you say that. I talked to Colleen the other day, and I told Colleen, I said, hey, Colleen, you just let me know. I said, if you need me to come up and do some shows for the staff, I will do some free shows and give all the proceeds back to the club staff for the time they missed. That's, you know, that's what it's all about. Hopefully people will start coming together a little more after this. You know, it's like I tell my friends that are well off, you know, um, I say to them too, I say, look, if you know a restaurant, employee that lost their job and they work for tips you can do it i mean if you can do it pay their rent this month yeah. help them if everybody that has a little more than others and they're well to do they can help 
find a few people that you know. If everybody did that, I mean, that would take care of a lot of people. But that's a great idea you have about comics that can do it, that can put butts in the seats to uh, just take a week or something or take a little bit of your time and go down to your local club and, and sell some tickets for the staff and get them back up and going. Um, but here's the thing. After this is over, the comics that hustled, that's, that's where that show business thing I was telling about comes into handy. The comics that hustle are going to be okay. The comics that just lay on their laurels like they used to do, they're going to have to work twice as hard. But comics that hustle are going to be okay. And uh, and you're a hustler, and you're already kicking butt anyway. So um, guys like you are going to be fine. But the, for these comics that are coming up and it was doing this and doing that, just keep hustling. That's my advice. Just keep hustling. And you'll be fine. Yeah, that's an interesting. You're, you know, you're a good, you're a good like prototype to look at in this business, because I mean, I think I, I remember sitting in that. I remember sitting in the Ryman, thinking, thinking so many. Like my mind was just spinning at like, at like the way, the way the business worked. That you don't see it when you're working in clubs. You don't see it because sometimes it's a papered room and it's just flooded with all different types of personalities. Then you see someone like yourself who's cultivated a diehard fan base. You and Ron and Jeff and Bill. I mean, Jeff and Bill are, are anomalies to me. They're like, I, like I, I, I can't really even wrap my head around their careers technically. But like right. you and Ron, I can see it. I can see. I, I feel like I was there when you guys blew up watching it. And, right. and I see where you're at now. And I go, it's about talking to the people that love you and then and it supports you and then not letting them down and, 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 and letting them trust you. It was really one of the, one of my favorite, one of my favorite shows I, I, I watched I've ever watched. It was the first theater show I ever saw. Right. And it was amazing, man. And you were so fucking cool to us. I appreciate it. Most people sit in my club. Most comics that sit in my shows, they wonder the same day. They wonder how are people laughing at these stupid jokes? <laughs> not even dude. You said, you said something about climate control, climate change that got an applause break. And I go, I got to find my climate change joke. I got to find what's my <laughs> thing that I say to my fans. And they go, there we go. That's my guy. The other thing I said was like, if you set up, if Otterbox had the insight to set up a stand at your shows and say, hey, we, we're selling the new and improved Otterbox, they would clean house. My father's, my father-in-law's friends would go to your show and go, damn right, I need a new OtterBox. I, the, my, my phone case right now, I just can't trust. I've had it a year and a half. It's been good to me, but I need a new one. Uh, so funny. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I tell you what, I, I, uh, I, love seeing, I love seeing what's happening to you because it reminds me of me a little bit, you know. I mean, from the times that, Colleen used to send me pictures of you handing out my potato chips. And Dude, what is going on? Those are the, you know, Rogan and I lost our minds over those potato chips. Yeah, those were unbelievable. It was one of the best products I had. And then that company that made them got bought out by another company and they quit making them. And the only reason they quit making them, Bert, is because Lays and print, all the big companies own all the shelf space in grocery stores and they don't let anybody else in. So the only time I could sell those nationally were if a local mom and pop ordered them 
or if I got an end cap in a grocery store, and sometimes I would get an end cap and they'd be gone in two days. They're the best. They were the best potato chips I had ever had. And I remember Colleen, one of the last times I was in there, she goes, you know, I used to have a few bags. I brought them home. I was like, and I brought them home and my kids saw them and they're like, oh, these are Larry's chips. And they lost their mind. They were so good. Rogan, this is how good they were. When I gave one to Rogan, Rogan tasted, he goes, there's got to be cancer in these. They're too good. They're too good. <laughs> well, the good news is uh, I got my guy that does all my merchandise. He's found another company that thinks they can make them exactly like that. So we're working on them again. So hopefully they'll come back out. Hey, and tell old Rogan I said hi, by the way. Last I time, I love Rogan. We used to hang out a little bit at the Comedy Fest in Montreal back in the day. You know, so tell him I said hi. I love his show. I will. I definitely will. And you got to come out here. When you come out here, man, I'll have you on the podcast proper. We'll hang out in here. Maybe I'll take my first chew in, in years and start back up. <laughs> no, don't do it. I feel bad now. Don't do it. I got to quit myself, but don't do it. You know, it's really funny. I did another thing earlier. You know, I'm doing these promos for the, the, the special. I just go on a bar stool sports, right? Yeah. I just popped my red man in and they come on. Hey Larry, how are you? And all of a sudden I took a breath and a piece of le- a piece of red man shot down my throat. And of course we're in the middle of the coronavirus. And I go, Hey, good. <coughs> <laughs> I literally started to gag on this thing. And I'm thinking, Oh boy, they think I'm dying or something. Over here. <laughs> oh, well, but I don't want to get you started up on it again, but so don't do it. But I will say it's freaking fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, next time, next time I come out, uh, out when I come out your way, I want to stop by the house. We'll do a podcast out there. We'll sit outside, have a Bud Light. Dude. Let's do it, bro. Hey, man, I'll do it. Look, I'm with you, man. I love you. I think you're hilarious. I'm happy for all your success. You're the next one in line. I'm telling you, people love you. And they love you because you're nice to them. You be nice to your fans. They'll be nice back to you. You're a good guy. And here's another reason I like it. You're a normal. You're a regular guy, man. <laughs> flipping guy. And doggone it, I am so happy for you. I mean, God bless you, man. You're the best, brother. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, you got it. Thanks for having me on. And hey. uh, I hope you enjoy that special, man. I think it's some of my best stuff. Fuck yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. Hey, uh, God bless. Take care of the family. Be safe. You got it, brother. Get her done. (laughs) This episode was brought to you by The Machine.